On the 28th of November 1979, an Air New Zealand sightseeing flight TE-901 crashed into the side of Mount Erebus in Antarctica. All 257 passengers and crew on board were instantly killed. At the time here in New Zealand, it seemed like everyone knew someone connected to the tragedy. I knew someone too. Over the years, we've heard a lot of stories about Erebus, the cover-up, the court case, the controversy. But here's some stories you might not know. Hi, I'm Lizzie Oakes, and when I was 10, I lost my nan, Muriel Florence Rose Harrison, to Erebus. 40 years later, I'm a broadcaster, and on this podcast, Erebus Engraved on Our Hearts, I'm speaking with others whose lives have been impacted by the disaster. Episode 9. 40 years is a long time to wait. Dan Maloney lost his dad, Nick Maloney, who was the flight engineer on the sightseeing trip. He talks of the impact Erebus has had on his life and of why an Erebus National Memorial is important for all New Zealanders. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dan Maloney. Nice to have you here. Nice to meet you. Thank you, Lizzie. I'm glad to be here. I know we've talked on the phone. I've I've emailed you and, um, yeah, it's nice to put a face to the name. You lost your dad, Nick Maloney, who was the flight engineer at only 44. Yep. You actually sent me a really lovely um, family photo of you, well, your dad sitting on a doorstep with three boys hanging off him, uh, you and your siblings. And I just looked at that family photo and I just thought that looked like a lot of fun. Your dad had a bit of a twinkle in his eye. What kind of dad was your dad? Well, he was um, very hardworking. Um, he was a very loyal and ethical person. And um, he was a really good father. Um, so we had a wonderful upbringing and um, I couldn't have asked for more. Hmm. There was always food on the table and a roof over our heads. When you say he was uh, a wonderful father, what what was it about him that made him wonderful? Well, for example, he... Um, would help us with our homework after school. Um, he would coach us rugby um, in our early early years. Um, he was someone who was very approachable um, for children. The, the neighbour neighbourhood children loved him, so he always had a smile on his face, and um, that's you know something that was quite special about him. Mm. And uh, so there's three of you, three brothers. Where do you come in the order of things? Okay, Dan? so I'm I'm the middle, mm. and my brother Tony's the oldest. He lives in Sydney. Um, he went to Sydney several years after the accident. I've got a younger brother, Rick, who um, three years younger than me. Uh, he is a um, he's a captain with the New Zealand. Okay. And uh, so for you in 1979, and uh, what was going on for you? What was happening well, in your life? <clears throat> I was 20, so and I, I sort of I'd finished my engineering qualifications and I really wanted to start doing something um, more hands-on and out there. So I um, started working on a farm up in the Kuiper. Um, and after that, we were going down to the um, South Island to do some prospecting, um, which I did about six months after the accident. So if you cast your mind back to the 28th of November, I'm sure it's a day that you can remember well, Dan. Absolutely. Can you tell me about that? Well, I was working on the farm up at Kuiper and um, my my friend, he came and told me that the farmer had come over and said, 
that the DC-10 was overdue and um, I should, you know, contact my mother. So um, I got in the truck and, and went home and I remember walking um, up the stairs to the front of the house. There were lots of friends, family and neighbours who had gathered. <laughs> it was such an intense time that I just walked straight out the back door and it sort of became nightfall and I remember looking up to the stars thinking, you know, where are you? We are waiting for your return. And as time went by, we realised that, you know, that um, fuel had run out and there was only the um, chance of a, uh, a forced landing. So um, hope had started to fade. It was really nice to have the family and, um, and friends and neighbours there. You know, I'll always be grateful. And can you remember what happened next? Well, quite honestly, it was all a bit of a blur, to tell you the truth. Um, we just waited um, until we got the news and um, it was quite devastating. So, you know, it affected the family um, quite seriously. So then your mum, the dear mum, became a, a widow with... Th- three boys? Three sons. Yeah, yeah, my mother. She relied on my father um, for income and support and she wasn't trained um, in anything. So losing dad... Um, was extremely difficult for her. So she had to um, struggle to basically reinvent herself and to, you know, support herself and the family. So it wasn't easy. And um, how about you three boys? How did that impact you? Well, I planned to go down the South Island and I did that six months later, but I just remember having this sort of big shadow over me all the time. You know, I felt that um, it was difficult to um, perform and I think I probably just, on the outside, you know, I always had to try to have a smile on my face. My younger brother, he stayed at home. He started a um, an apprenticeship um, with uh, the electricity board and I know it must have been difficult for him because he was, he was alone and uh, my mother was struggling mentally. Uh, and then my, my brother went over to Sydney. So um, I think, you know, myself and my older brother, we, we flew the ne- you know flew the nest pretty quickly, and that gave us a bit of um, an opportunity to get away from the um, the burden. Yeah, I can imagine. So you said that um, you know you went down south and you felt this big shadow. I mean, of course, you just lost your dad. How has that been for you through the years? With that grief, did you feel that you came to a point where you were able to process it? Well, you know, the grief, um, you, you, I remember my uncle, who's a doctor, telling my mother, um, toughen up and get on with it. That was the attitude in those days. And he New Zealand wasn't forthcoming. And, you know, I mean, we grew up in an era where you didn't show emotion, really, um, so I basically just got on with it. Um, but I found it really difficult. You know, I, um, I lost trust in, um, in companies or, or working for someone. You know, I sort of felt that my father had been loyal, um, ethical, and um, he instilled into us this, this trust of working hard and getting a good job and the company looking after you. So that was the end of that, you know, for me. Mm. So uh, I... Spend most of my life um, as a consultant or contracting. 
Would you say that there's um, been certain things in your life that have helped you on your healing journey of losing your dad? Because obviously, you know, you're talking about 40 years ago and New Zealand as a society, we didn't talk about things like you say, just get on with it. Do you feel that you've had opportunity to sort of before now air those feelings and those thoughts and those emotions? Um, I think I locked a lot of it away, to tell you the truth. And um, I think it affected me um, physically and mentally. I had to, just had that, that attitude. But, you know, recently, um, I know it's 40 years down the track, but um, I've been involved in the memorial, so that's good. You know, that helps me. Um, yeah, tell me about that. So we were at that meeting, weren't we, a year ago? Yes. And they were talking about the memorial and then it came, a few people said, well, there's nobody on the on the panel that represents families. And then and then suddenly there was two people, <laughs> uh, Catherine Carter and yourself. That's correct. We voted for you, didn't we? That's I, correct, I yes. can remember seeing, receiving emails with blurbs about people. Yep. And so uh, what's your background? Well, I studied civil engineering um, and also quantity surveying, but um, I've been working as a designer for, for most of my life. Um, I was a consultant um, development engineer to the Auckland Council and also a team leader architect um, on the Christchurch residential rebuild for the earthquake. So I've got a lot of, I mean, I've got a lot of background. I've got a whole lifetime's background in, in engineering and architecture and design. Mm. You're saying that this process has been a good one for you. Well, parts of it have. Obviously, people objecting to it, isn't it? That's, that's been difficult. But um, the actual process of being helpful or um, having purpose, um, giving, and, and, and actually um, being of service is probably the big one for me. I get a lot of, a lot of pleasure out of giving. So, um, uh, you know, in my own time, at my own expense. Um, so that's... What, I, what I've what I've enjoyed. It sounds like from what you're saying, Dan, that you've been waiting for 40 years <laughs> to be able to give honour and respect to to your dad and and the others that perished on that flight. Absolutely, and I'm sort of compelled to get this memorial up and running, and um, I feel that it's um, it's it's been tough lately, just with the um, with the apathy and that. Antipathy from some of the residents in the um, Parnell area. What does this memorial mean to you personally, Dan? Well, the memorial itself, for me, it's a place to visit, to reminisce, to reflect and focus on the disaster's significant impact. It's great loss, it's deep emotion tempered by time, pain and anger of the families friends and population of all New Zealand and people worldwide. For me, it's a spiritual place in which our joy and our grief meet in the memory of those we love. It will honour the gratitude to those that risked their lives and made sacrifices in the aftermath. So you mentioned the apathy of the residents. You think these people don't understand the weight of what Erebus is? That because it's 40 years that people are like, oh, well, Mm. Just get over it. I don't. I don't think they have um, an emotional connection to it. To them, it's just uh, a memorial in the park. Um, Perhaps which, an inconvenience. Uh, an inconvenience, uh, um, and they're uncomfortable with it. You know, I mean, I can. You know, my my thoughts are that um, this recent and unexpected antipathy and apathy 
from a few has been cold-hearted and insulting. Family that lost their loved ones have a deep and meaningful emotional attachment to the tragedy and what the National Memorial represents. There are 257 families and there has only been one family representing their own personal views that has shown absolutely no care or due concern for the other 256 families. The desecration as well as a negative press towards the memorial and the acknowledgement to divide the Erebus families at this stage, I feel, is totally incomprehensible. I think it's reasonable to voice one's opinion regarding um, personal opposition of something that does not appeal to, to yourself or to anyone, but it's totally unreasonable to misrepresent oneself and spread misinformation to the public to garner support for their own desires. Not only sensationalism by way of social media and press, but vandalising Auckland Council signs that direct the public to the correct information so that they can make an educated decision on the memorial. It's interesting that you mentioned earlier about the residents. You were saying that they're uncomfortable with it. Whereas what I'm hearing from you and for all of us who lost a loved one, we weren't exactly comfortable with what we went through, the fact that our loved ones died in this plane crash and then, you know, the lies and the cover-up and all sort of oh, that absolutely. thing. You know, that hasn't been a comfortable process for you for the last 40 years. No, no, no. That's 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 why you shelve it, put it, you file it, because you've got a lot of anger. Mm. You've got a lot of emotion. And it's every year, or this is a big one, 40 years, where that emotion starts to come to the surface and you feel that anger. Now, when you get someone winding you up, as in this case, it's the um, people who oppose the memorial, that makes you even more emotional. And it, it's, um, it's, it's, it's heavy, you know, you, you're carrying, you feel like you're carrying a big burden. I mean, I, like, I love the site. I mean, it's directly over uh, Mechanics Bay, which was um, the gateway for um, aircraft in the beginning in the 30s to the 50s. So it was the international airport for New Zealand. Um, it's a significant um, site for this memorial. Mm. I think what I'm hearing from you, Dan, is that, um, yeah, we all have this emotion and anger is part of um, part of Erebus family's journey, unfortunately. But if we had something positive like a memorial, then all those sort of pent-up emotions and things could go into that and it could actually be a, a positive outcome. Absolutely. It's like a full stop. At yep. the end of, of what's happened? <clears throat> well, I don't know if it's ever a full stop, but um, it will certainly help. I know that reading through um, the family's um, thoughts on the memorial, there were a few things that uh, really stood out. And one was um, to be able to touch the names was, you know, very important to touch and feel. And the other one was to connect with the journey and the Antarctica. So through the design selection process, these thoughts are always on my mind. Yeah, and I think, you know, people want something tangible because when you lose a loved one, you can no longer touch them, you can no longer hug them. And even though it's been, you know, obviously if anyone dies, but you've got somewhere to go that you can actually recognise them, you know, it is a big deal. Yeah, I think it's... um it's a, it's a beautiful spot, and um, 
I'll feel very comfortable up there just being able to sit and reflect. Uh, it's nice. Long time coming, 40 years. And, you know, like I really appreciate the Prime Minister going out there and and offering this memorial. She's done a great job. The Prime Minister today is not the Prime Minister in 1979. And New Zealand is not the company that it was in 1979. You know, I mean, this whole, the accident, I know it's shocking, but um, air travel's safer. Yeah. People have to know that they're safer travelling now. And having that memorial here, it's going to help them to um, understand the immensity of grief that, that we've been through and uh, remind everybody um, that it should never happen again, ever. Thanks for listening to this episode of Erebus Engraved on Our Hearts. I'm Lizzie Oakes. Thanks to Scott Gillen, my audio engineer, and to Rima Media for their support. On the next episode, I'll be speaking with David Allen, who lost his mum, dad and sister on the flight. To subscribe, go to Erebus Engraved on Our Hearts on iTunes, Spotify or erebusengravedonourhearts.com.